Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to read you a message that somebody sent me a couple of years back. Uh, because there's a bunch of stuff in there that each and every individual item could be its own episode. Uh, so this is a rather short email, but I want to read it to you and then go over the individual items that uh, this person's talking about. She didn't really have a question, but um, in fact, it was more of a compliment and I'm grateful for it. And I'm going to read you these items and see what we can talk about with them because I think all of them are valid to most of us and it might be helpful information that we can go over. So let's see what she says. She said, I came across your podcast this evening. This is a couple years ago and I think she might still be listening. And I started with an episode from May 2014 and on how to live a more balanced life. And it resonated with me so much that I felt compelled to write you to tell you this. I live in Australia and I've been dealing with lifelong social anxiety, which in part stems from my relationship with my anxious parents. And since childhood, I've felt this need to ensure my mother's emotional well-being, fulfilling her expectations and the dreams she could never achieve due to the emotional trauma that she received as a child. I'm realizing now that my parents have never been able to see me for me, just their projected anxiety and ideal images of me. I'm on a journey of letting go of the need to fulfill other people's expectations, letting go of chasing my parents' conditional love, and allowing myself to feel a lot of repressed emotion. I'm also recognizing the ingrained habits that are holding me back, and I'm staying true to myself. That episode on how to live a more balanced life really expressed how I feel and the hope of a way forward. Thanks very much for what you do. I hope one day to also be able to help people understand themselves and inspire them to heal emotionally. I'm keen to continue listening to the podcast and I got a lot to catch up on and learn. Kind regards. Wow, that's a great message. Thank you so much for sharing that. All kinds of steps in the right direction. And I love getting stuff like this. So I want to thank this person for writing and I want to talk about what she wrote in here because like I said, all of these individual things that she's working on have either already been subject for episodes I've talked about in the past or could be entire episodes on them on their own in the future. But let me go through these and see where we can go with it. Um, she said that she's been dealing with lifelong social anxiety, which in part stems from her relationship with her anxious parents. And so here we are where we take what our parents are going through on and move through life as if we have their condition. 
And I, I can see this happening when we're children and we pick up on how our parents uh, respond to the world and what they do in the world and how they maybe fear some things in the world. So we can take these behaviors into our own lives and then we transform them into something more personal, something more for us. And this reminds me of something I like to do when it comes to any type of fear or nervousness or anxiety that I'm feeling. There's usually inner dialogue that goes with some sort of fear or anxiety that you're feeling. There's usually something that you say to yourself. Maybe you picture something in your mind. And when that happens, uh, at least for me, what I like to do, especially when I hear that self-talk, that negative self-talk, I like to ask myself, whose voice is it in? So you might have somebody in your mind, maybe you think it's you, but it probably comes from someone else where the voice says, I can't go in this room. I'm so anxious. I, I'll feel stupid. I'll feel like they're smarter than me or they'll be judging me. You know, I'm talking about social anxiety. I, I can't go in this room. I'm just too nervous. So now the question comes up, well, whose voice is that in? And some people are going to say, it's my voice. I can hear myself saying it. I'm scared. I'm not going in there. And then I would follow that up with, well, where did that come from? Because you weren't born with that thought or belief. You weren't born with that. So when I ask whose voice is that in, who is the first person besides yourself that comes to mind? For her, it might be her mom. My mom was always so anxious. My mom this, my mom that. And that might be an accurate thing where she knows it's her mom's voice and she hears it in her head and her mom is basically repeating something that she's said herself, but in this person's head now. And what we end up doing, just like when we read a book, we often use our own voice. So we often will change the person's voice who, quote, gave it to us gave us this fear, gave us this belief system, and we'll turn it into our own voice because this is how we often think in our own head. You know, when you're thinking about your grocery list, you're going over those items in your grocery list and it might be in your own voice. Okay, now I'm going to go grocery shopping. Great. But what happens when you have negative inner dialogue? Whose voice is that in? Again, you know, we think it's ours and it sounds like ours. And sometimes we can say, yes, I know it's mine, but I followed up with, well, where did it come from? We weren't born this way. We weren't thinking this when we came out of the womb. We weren't even thinking. We were just experiencing the world for the first time outside of that dark place. And now here we are in the air and the light and we're exploring the world, learning how to adapt and figure things out. And then we're raised by people that instill messages in us. They instill belief systems. I mean, they may not even be doing it purposefully. They are just being who they are and we are absorbing it. Okay, so I'm a kid and I'm around my alcoholic stepfather and I'm around my submissive mom and I'm around my scared siblings. And uh, what am I getting from this? You know, I hop into my body as a child and I remember being this way. And if I don't remember being this way, I ask myself, how would I feel if I were in this situation as a helpless, defenseless kid that doesn't really know anything about the world? 
What am I learning about the world? What am I learning to fear? How am I learning to show up? What am I learning that will uh, be a dysfunction one day? Well, I don't want to be confrontational. Well, why not? Because my mom's not confrontational. I better learn how to calm my drunk stepfather down and other people that might be aggressive or assertive. So uh, where did I learn that? Oh, my mom used to do that. I learned a lot from my mom. A lot of good things and a lot of not so helpful things because uh, she was doing the best she could. Just like your parents, they were probably doing the best they could, even if they were abusive, even if they were awful. Because I do believe that when we have limited tools, then we show up in a limited fashion. Uh, Not always. Sometimes we don't need tools. Sometimes we are brought up in a healthy, non-toxic environment, and we learn how to be a, a different person, not necessarily a better person than anyone else, but we are more prepared for the world instead of weakened by our upbringing or bringing dysfunctions with us from our upbringing. This can happen where we are brought up in a family that is displaying characteristics that may not be helpful to us and, in fact, hurtful to us and others. Because what we learn in childhood, we bring into our adult relationships, and then our adult relationships suffer, and maybe we blame the other person for not showing up in a certain way, or maybe we figure out that we are the common denominator for all these problems, and we need to work on ourselves and figure out what we need to do to heal. So this is one of those things is when you have the inner dialogue, when you have the anxiety, it is most likely from a lot, a long time ago, uh, or maybe not so long ago, and it is most likely not in your voice, even though it sounds like, it could sound like your voice, but really it came from somewhere else. Again, we're not born with that. We have to get it from somewhere. And this is helpful. This is helpful to know, to realize you weren't born with this negative inner dialogue. You were born as a blank computer waiting for a program. And when that program was installed, you hope it doesn't have a virus, an emotional virus that will unleash itself when you grow older and you have a midlife crisis or something. The thought that we have these voices in our head, the voices themselves, they just have to be scrutinized. You just have to discern between the ones that really are helpful and the ones that are actually trying to cause you harm. And I know they're your own voices. You're repeating the words that you heard before, but we have to remember how our brain works. It just remembers things, and then it repeats things, and then it repeats things sometimes in a distorted way because sometimes we hear something and we'll repeat it to ourselves, and it comes out a little differently. Meaning somebody along the lines might have said, you're stupid. And you interpreted that as, I'm not lovable. Or someone said, you can do better than that. And you interpreted it as, I'm not important. I'm not worthy. I'm incompetent. We do this to ourselves. We just beat ourselves up and we turn it around and make it worse than it is. Not to say that some people aren't intentionally trying to hurt us. That is true too. And for those people, they definitely don't have the tools and the resources that some other people have that can help them show up in a healthy way. The people that mistreat us or abuse us, there are things missing in their life that are important 
to help people uh, treat others nicely. And often that is just empathy. Often people block their empathy with other things. A lot of it is they want to be in control. They want to have power over you. If they control you and they're not accessing their empathy, then they may be dangerous to be around. They may be harmful to you, either emotionally or physically. They could be harmful. When someone doesn't have empathy, they're going to do things to you that makes them appear terrible. And their behavior probably is terrible. You don't deserve that behavior. And what happens is they mistreat us when we're younger, and then we have to learn something from that, and we can learn something good, like I'll never treat anyone like they treated me, or we could learn something bad, like I guess that's the way we treat people, I guess that's what we're supposed to do, or we we might get a mix of that, like, you know, I'm going to treat certain people this way and other people another way like I used to do. I used to treat the people that were not the closest to me better than the ones that were closest to me. And that that is just messed up. I mean, we all have the capability of doing this, and some of us do do it, where the people that we are closest to, the most intimate with, we sometimes treat the worst. And we get into that space where they don't seem to matter as much as other people. And if that's the case we should probably have a conversation about that. We should probably talk to our loved ones and say, you know, I think I treat you worse than I treat the stranger in the grocery store. I think I treat you worse than I treat my boss. Why do I do that? I want to talk about this. Think about that for a conversation with somebody you love. That would be a very vulnerable place to be. And what's interesting is that the people that are closest to us should be the ones that we can have these vulnerable conversations with. But I think what happens is that maybe we're afraid to be a little too vulnerable in front of those people, so we lash out. Maybe we don't want to seem wrong or feel wrong, because maybe we think that they'll see us differently or they'll look down on us. I think it's just something to think about as we go through life, is how we treat the closest people in our lives, the ones that choose to be around us and sometimes choose to be with us or live with us or be married to us. These are the people that could do anything they want with their lives, yet they're choosing to be with us or have coffee with us on that day. They could be anywhere they want, and they choose to meet with us for lunch. That is an honor. I mean, I think of that as an honor when somebody can do anything with their time, and instead of doing anything else, they're spending that time with me. That is an honor. That is, I am so grateful when that happens. And I try to take advantage of that when it does happen. And the people that we're closest to, we end up sometimes taking advantage of them. Or we take advantage of the time that we have with them. And uh, we don't treat them as nicely as other people. And I get it. I mean, especially if you're around them a lot. And especially nowadays during the COVID pandemic, we're around certain people all the time. Some of us can be around the same select people all the time. So we do have to deal with personalities. We have to deal with the struggle between autonomies. (laughs) I'm not even sure if that's the correct way to say it. It's one person wanting to be themselves around somebody else wanting to be themselves and having that clash. This is kind of like everyone lives in a glass house. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. And unless you have unconditional acceptance by everyone, you have uh, chaos. (laughs) You have someone throwing rocks. 
that's a challenge. But imagine if we could live life in these glass houses and be vulnerable in front of other people and still feel safe, still feel connected, still feel like we can say hello without getting our head bitten off. This is the kind of life that would be wonderful, but we're complex beings. We really are. And so I know I'm going off a little tangent here because I wanted to read the rest of this email. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to go over the rest of these items. And, you know, I started talking about anxiety. And I'm probably not going to talk too much about anxiety today. But I do want you to remember to ask yourself, when you get this negative inner dialogue, whose voice is this in? And if you can't get past, well, it's my own voice, then I want you to ask, well, where did this come from? And you can ask yourself, if you were to name someone whose voice this is, even though it might sound like you, who would it be? Who is the first person that comes up? I can almost guarantee you somebody's going to come up. Somebody's going to come up. And that person, you might need healing around. You might need some sort of closure. And they may not be around anymore. You may not be able to close it directly with them, but you may need to work on that in your mind or with a specialist or whatever just to get closure around that person because they may have instilled a lot of fear or anxiety or beliefs that don't serve you. And that's the toughest part is when we have things that we truly believe but they are causing problems in our lives. You always hear this in personal growth books and videos and uh, talks. They call them limiting beliefs. I don't really like that term, but it works. It's a belief that limits you in some way. And I think it's important to understand what your beliefs are that limit you. And that's the hard part because beliefs can be so ingrained that they don't feel like a belief. They just feel like, well, that's the way it is. They just feel like that's what normalcy is. And so in order to break apart normalcy in your mind, you really have to shake the foundation. You really have to rattle your cage and shake yourself out of these belief systems. And just really quick, one example of that is when I feared being broke. Like when my bank account was dwindling, when I was losing my condo in Florida, when I was going bankrupt, on and on, I was having all these events happen around the same time. And I was married too, so she was out of work. And so our finances are crashing and we're going to lose the place we're renting. and Everything was happening. I mean, this is a story for a lot of people during the mortgage crisis around 2008, 2009. Everything was crashing in our lives. And big, huge panic and anxiety was just filling me. It was just, oh, I, I couldn't stand it. I hated it. And I had this belief system that bankruptcy was wrong and made me a bad person. So I didn't even want to use that route. So all of this anxiety and all these voices in my head, like, oh, everything's going to be terrible. We're going to be broke. We're going to be homeless. And all of that fear just permeated my very soul. And it was very difficult day after day to see the bank account going down and not knowing what we were going to do. And I didn't have a lot of tools that I have now. But if I were going through that now, I would probably ask myself, Whose voice is this in? Where did this come from? And then I would start asking a lot of drill down questions like, why do I fear being broke? And then when I answered, if I'm broke, uh, I won't have a place to live. And then I would ask, okay, well, how is that a problem if you don't have a place to live? 
And then I would have the snappy response of, what do you mean, how is it a problem that I won't have a place to live? Then I would ask the question, how is it a problem that you wouldn't have a place to live? And I would have a response of something like, well, if I don't have a place to live, then I won't have any shelter. And if I don't have any shelter, then you know I'm going to give you my answer from there. I, I won't have a bed to sleep in. I won't have uh, food in the fridge. And, you know, it's going to come down to maybe a fear of something so raw and so deep, like a fear of eventually dying, that that one fear branches out into all these other fears that if I am able to get down to that root fear, let's just say it's the fear of dying, and ask myself an even deeper drill down question like, well, how is dying a problem? I might have a breakthrough. I might be enlightened. <laughs> I might go, whoa, that's deep. And that right there might shake my foundation. That question right there can rattle your cage when you get down to your deepest, darkest fear and you drill down even further because you never really thought about going any further than that. You think, well, death death is final. There's nothing after that. Or if you're spiritual, there is something after that. But maybe you have fears about that too. But when you find that stopping point where you keep asking yourself, well, why is that a problem? Well, how is that a problem? Uh, what's worse than that? It's another drill down question I like to use. What's worse than that? Okay, you have no house, you have no food, and you think you're going to die. What's worse than that? Uh, <laughs> these are the kind of questions that are fantastic to ask yourself, you keep going deeper and deeper until you get to a stopping point and you go beyond that stopping point. Because the stopping point is often the belief that you have, the fear that you have, the anxiety that you have, that in order to get through that stopping point, to break through it, to bust through it and get to another layer, you'll find out that the layers below that, if there are any, really don't have any fear. They don't have any anxiety. They don't have anything. They're just kind of a void. And I tell you what, being in a voidy place is a lot better than being in an anxious, stressful, panicky place. It's a lot better than where you were. So if you ever find yourself in this negative space where you're not sure what's going to happen and you have these deep fears and you're drilling down into these fears to find out what's underneath and what's underneath that one and what's underneath that one, you're going to get to a place where there's nothing underneath. And it's going to feel a lot different. It's going to feel peaceful, maybe. Maybe it'll feel empty in a good way. Maybe it will be a realization. Maybe it'll be an enlightenment. Maybe it'll be a place of comfort, even though everything above it, all those branches above that stopping point, above that last layer, have all these fears and worries and beliefs tied to it. But when you reach the last layer and you go underground and you have the roots and then you go below the roots and you have the dirt, then what's below the dirt? And what's below that? And I'm just talking metaphorically, of course. Because we all know if we keep going down to the center of the earth, that's a different feeling. <laughs> but if we do this metaphorically, like what's un underneath that emotional layer? And what's underneath that emotional layer? And what emotions are present then? We soon get to 
a different space and it feels lighter. It feels different. It feels free. And if you've tried this and you've not ever felt this, you need to dig farther. And this is where sometimes people will dive into their spirituality. They go beyond their belief system. They go beyond their knowledge. It gets them outside of the box and into a different space. And you don't have to be spiritual to do this. This is just an exercise in the mind. Your body feels it as you dive into these layers. And it can be a wonderful experience to get below the fear, below the anxiety, and below the stress. Because under there is a lot different feeling. It almost feels like being reborn. And again, I'm not trying to make this a spiritual conversation. It's more like when you're born, you don't have these things. I mean, yes, we have some inherent fears. If somebody yells really loud when we're a baby, we're probably going to be upset. We're probably going to cry. But I'm pretty sure that when you were a baby and somebody said, oh my God, I'm almost broke, it probably didn't affect you. Unless they were taking it out on you, that's totally different. But somebody saying that in the same room, oh no, I'm so broke. You're probably not thinking from a baby's perspective that being broke is bad. However, that kind of stuff we absorb. I know. I know we bring it with us. We think, oh, I remember my parents talking about that all the time, even before I was old enough to understand. So I get that part. But we didn't necessarily come into the world with a fear of not having money. We came into the world with just very limited fears and wanting to eat <laughs> and wanting to sleep. So underneath all of these layers, under the roots even, it is kind of a feeling of being reborn into that empty vessel. And so that's an expansion of the mind I hope you can reach too. And I'm not an expert at it. I'm not saying that this is easy for me. I still have stresses that come up and I have to go through the exercises. This isn't automatic. And sometimes I don't even want to go through the exercise. Sometimes I don't want to deal with it. Sometimes I just want to block it out. I just want to go outside or play a game or play my guitar. I want to do anything else except think of that. And so I don't dive into it. But I would say that if it's a constant state of mind or a constant negative emotion or constant negative chatter inside your mind, then it's time to dig and it's time to find out what's under those layers. Anyway, like I said, we'll be right back. We'll talk about the rest of this in a moment. I want to tell you about a couple helpful resources that you may find uh, useful in your life and especially one that I've uh, vetted, I've tested out myself. That is the BetterHelp system. I've talked to some of the professional counselors there and got a good feel of how their system works and I love it. I mean, I love the BetterHelp system and if you're in a state of mind where there's something preventing you from achieving what you want to achieve or you're feeling stressed or anxious, anything I was talking about in the first segment, you're having a problem with your relationship, problem sleeping, or you have any trauma that you haven't healed from, any anger issues, BetterHelp is here to help you raise your self-esteem, raise your self-worth, help you realize that life can be a lot better than what you may be going through. 
and they do it through a unique system where you don't actually have to get into your car and drive over to a therapist. They are actually online and when you create an account, you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And uh, it's a professional counseling service. These are licensed counselors and therapists and they will be able to assess your needs and match you with one that uh, fits what you're looking for. So like I said, I tested out their system to find out how it works and talk to their counselors. Super nice, super nice people, super understanding. And I really believe they're doing a great, great service out there. I want you to check them out. They're called BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. And um, as a uh, listener to the show, you'll get 10% off your first month. So it's worth checking out and, you know, give one month a shot and then give the next month a shot. And if it continues to be helpful to you, just continue going. It's a great affordable alternative to in-person therapy or counseling. And uh, everything you share, of course, is confidential. And check out their testimonials. People left and right are leaving their testimonies on the BetterHelp site. And in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So again, fantastic professional service and something that so many of us need right now as we're not sure what's going to happen in the world. So yes, continue listening to this show and continue working on yourself as much as you can. But when you need that personal guidance, head over to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain and Use your 10% off the first month and get started right away. I hope it's the solution you're looking for. And there's one other thing that I've never shared on this show, and that is a podcast called Stories of Impact. You know, sometimes you just need to take a break. Sometimes you just need to sit there and listen and let someone help you explore the big questions in life or the curiosities around the world. And even the latest social and scientific research the podcast Stories of Impact brings discoveries of human flourishing and tools for coping with human crises directly to you. I mean, if that's not right in alignment with what I just talked about, I don't know what is. I really want you to check out Stories of Impact over at storiesofimpact.org. And they have a new episode every other week. And just take a listen. And if you love it, subscribe and Keep listening because when there are good podcasts that are really helping you through all the tough times or just helping you expand your mind, you want to keep them on your list and make sure you always have something to listen to whenever you need it. Storiesofimpact.org. All right, welcome back. I'm going to read you the other items in this email and see what else there is to comment on. She said that since childhood, I've felt this need to ensure my mother's emotional well-being, fulfilling her expectations and the dreams she could never achieve due to the emotional trauma she received as a child. Yeah, that's uh, that's something else that, that can often happen is that if there's something unfulfilled in a parent, that we might find it, like if our parents felt unfulfilled, we might find it our job to fulfill what they're missing. I mean, this comes in the form of some parents that live vicariously through their children. And because they, the parent, didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve, they hope their child achieves that. And if their child achieves that, that it gives the parent a sense of accomplishment. That can certainly happen. That does happen. And in this case, maybe her mom just never healed from her trauma. And so because of that, the child comes along and is kind of 
that proxy way to heal, but not necessarily in a healthy way because she said she's fulfilling her expectations and dreams and the dreams that her mom could never achieve. So again, it's along the lines of uh, the parent not necessarily getting what they want in life and hoping their child does so they can live vicariously through them. And I'm not necessarily putting any of this down. I'm not saying if you're a parent and you want your child to achieve more than you achieve, that's not what I'm saying. It's not a bad thing at all. It's just when it becomes the child's obligation. And when the child feels obligated to do it and feels the stress to do it and the pressure to do it, or they're a disappointment to the parent, you know, this may have been what happened in this case. So, you know, I'm sorry I had to go through that. And I'm hoping that you don't feel the need to do this anymore, the person who wrote the email. Because if you continue trying to fulfill what your mom couldn't heal or fulfill in her in herself, that can tend to get passed down the generations in the sense that, okay, now you've lived your life trying to heal your mom's old wounds, but does that mean your kid now lives their life to fulfill your wounds? This is why it's it's so important to work on yourself, to work on your self-esteem, your self-worth, uh, your self-compassion, your self-love, and become a happy adult child of your parents because healthy parents want their kids to be happy no matter what. And if they don't want them to be happy and they just need them to fill some sort of void in them, then the child never really lives the life that they want to live. And that can get passed down. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it can get passed down. And we just have to be careful with that. This is one of the reasons why I always recommend that you work on yourself. It's that old concept, put the oxygen mask on you first before you help others. Because if you are not fulfilling yourself, healing yourself, working on your own stuff, then you might seek it from others. And then when you have kids, you might want them to fulfill that in some way. And that takes away from them. Just like for this person, it's taking away from her. She's not able to enjoy her life and experience what life is like without someone's obligation on them. So anyway, I'm going to go on to the next thing that she said, which is, I'm letting go of chasing my parents' conditional love. And I think she meant the word conditional. There's not much to say on that. If a parent has conditions to their love for you, then there's something else going on, something else that's maybe not fulfilled in them that needs to be worked on. And if they are expecting their child to show up in a way that helps the parent heal, then that's just a lot of pressure on the child. So again, take that or leave it. Next one is allowing myself to feel a lot of repressed emotion. So important. This is something I said on uh, the last episode and many episodes where when you have thoughts and feelings and anything negative that you might be walking around with all the time and it sits underneath all the layers and it's just a low level feeling that you carry with you, you're likely holding on to repressed emotions. And um, these repressed emotions, they turn into sometimes very destructive behavior. And it can be little outbursts. It can be passive-aggressive comments. It can be uh, just being upset or anxious. It can turn into depression. Any type of repressed emotions that are in there, I believe you have to address. I believe they have to come up. And I know there are some things that happen to, to some people, like lots of abuse that 
they don't want to visit again. They don't want to bring that up. And I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying you have to bring up the events. It's just important to remember that the emotions surrounding those events are important to address. So let's just take an extreme example. Someone gets sexually abused. They might have a lot of shame and guilt and anger and fear and uh, maybe embarrassment and all of these emotions that you'd never want the victim of sexual abuse to feel because why would a victim want to feel guilt? Why would a victim want to feel shame? But often they do. And some of them don't want to deal with it. Some of them don't want to address it. Some of them don't want to bring it up. They just want to move on. And this is a personal opinion of mine, but if it doesn't affect you today and your life is pretty darn good and you really haven't necessarily healed from the trauma of the past, but your life is pretty balanced and you're pretty happy, then I don't think it's necessary to go into the past and drudge all that stuff up. It may be, but it may not be. If life is going good and you're moving along fine and you rarely think about it and it doesn't affect you, you're not walking around with that underlying negativity, you have good relationships, you're feeling good inside yourself, then in my personal opinion, I don't think you really have to address that kind of stuff. If everything is good now, then you just move on. My big however, <laughs> my big but says that if you have unexplained moments of upset or lashing out or self-destructive patterns or you're walking around with that low-level sense of dread or agony or anxiety or anything negative and you're just not having what you believe could be a somewhat happy, comfortable life and it has to do with that old trauma, then yeah, it's time to address it. It's time to look at that. I mean, I'm not saying you have to. I mean, it's certainly your choice. But the less you address it, the more it stays repressed and the more it continues to be harmful to you because it uh, stays in there and it festers. And those negative emotions that fester, they don't do anything but harm. And sometimes we try to fight those things and we try to resist those things that are brewing inside of us, but uh, it, we can't. We can't hold them back because they're just too strong. They just keep coming up. And I look at it this way. I kind of personify these emotions. And I think that when they come up, when there's an emotional trigger that's activated inside of you and one of them comes up, it's an opportunity to acknowledge it, address it, talk to it, and try to heal a little bit. I mean, it would be great if I could say just heal it then and there. But every time one comes up, it's an opportunity. It's like it's saying, hey, I'm still in here. Could you please talk to me? Could you please help me? I'm still in here. I don't want to stay in here anymore. I don't want to be repressed. I want to be let out. I want to be free. And I know you want to be free of me too. That's kind of something I look at is personifying these emotions that are continuous feeling that you might carry around. It needs to be addressed. It might need to be talked to like a person so that it can find its way out. And you may not be able to do it alone. You may have to do it with a support group or a support person or a professional of some sort. And if that's what it takes, you know, you might have to climb the big mountain and reach the big emotional peak where you finally can start living life downhill instead of uphill. But once you do that, your life changes. I mean, it's night and day and you just feel different. You see life differently. You feel better and you can start living. 
Because some people stop living. They just live in this maybe fear state or hurt state all the time. And it's just no way to live like that. So I know this is tough. I know there are things that may have happened in your life that are just terrible. And you don't think you can get through it. But it's not good when it stays in there either. So like I said, if life is going great and you've had some trauma in your past, but it's not affecting you today, probably okay. And if it's not, it might be time to address it and it might be time to talk about it. So the next one is, I'm recognizing the ingrained habits that are holding me back. Those are those limiting beliefs that I was talking about, is that we develop these habits and we do them so often that we don't even think about it. It's like breathing. We just do it without even thinking. It happens. It's an involuntary muscle sometimes. And so she is starting to recognize it. I call those pattern interrupts. When you are in a habit and it's a pattern that your brain knows so well that it doesn't have to think about it to do it. It's sort of like when I used to buy soda at the store. I would just reach for the soda. It's nothing I think about. I can afford it. I reach for the soda and I drink it down in my work day. And when I gave up soda, that was hard. <laughs> that was hard giving up soda because I would walk into a store, I'd have it in my hand, I'd be walking to the counter, and then I would remember, wait, I gave up soda, and here I am with a soda. But it's so good. It's just one more soda. That's what I would tell myself. It's just one more soda. And I would do that one more soda so often that I might as well never have quit. And so I really started having to think about these habits that were just so normal to me so that when I got out of my car to go into the store, I would imagine myself buying a soda, which was something I would normally do unconsciously, but now I was making it conscious. I was making that habit a conscious thing. And I remembered I gave up soda. So this does take effort to interrupt the patterns and stop something you do all the time because it may be so, quote, normal to you. And when it's normal, you don't think about it. You just continue doing what you're doing. And that's what she's talking about. She's breaking these patterns. And this is a huge step forward if you can start being conscious of everything you do. I mean, that's why a lot of people talk about the present moment. Eckhart Tolle talks about the present moment. If you're very present in what you're doing and you don't become unconscious and it becomes something that's just in the background and then it becomes a pattern, then you are always aware of what's going on in your life and maybe you won't get into these old habits and patterns. He's on a different level than most people, so I'm sure it comes a lot easier to him. Uh, but most of us, we are kind of on autopilot in a lot of the things that we do. And you know, some of us aren't. And those people, they practice at it, I'm sure. I'm sure they meditate. I'm sure they practice presence. And because of that, they probably have a lot more control in their life, a lot more awareness of what they do. And they don't get into these patterns. And they're able to recognize old patterns, like way before they started doing any presence exercises. Because the old patterns might have been the stuff that came out of childhood from well-meaning parents or not so well-meaning parents. And they were taken out of the home and into their own lives and never thought of again until one day somebody said something about it or they noticed it themselves and they finally realized they needed to change these patterns. So that's a good one to remember. 
The next one is staying true to myself. Of course, I am a big fan of showing up authentically, transparently, and in a vulnerable way with people that you feel safe around. And sometimes you can do it with people that you don't feel so safe around just to see if they will get vulnerable and be authentic too. But for the most part, I would rather be around people that I feel safe being myself around. And when I'm around people that I don't feel safe being myself around, I may not be myself. I may not be my full self, I should say. I mean, I did read an email earlier today about uh, personal boundaries and how someone said, you know, when I honor my personal boundaries in front of family, they react badly. They don't like me honoring myself. And she said, so I don't do it that often. And the first thought that came to my mind is, so you're willing to honor people that don't want you honoring yourself. I didn't tell her that, but this is the first thing that came to my mind is that when other people don't appreciate you honoring yourself and they respond badly to it, especially family, because they want you to be who, who you've always been with them, which might be them taking advantage of you. And if you change, then that takes away their ability to take advantage of you. Yeah, they might be upset that they can't take advantage of you anymore. Well, uh, boo-hoo. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's just too bad. And at the same time, if they truly love you, then they're going to want you to honor yourself. They're going to respect you honoring yourself. If they truly care about you, they're going to want you to be happy. And they're not going to want you to experience someone else's bad behavior, even if it's their own. So I look at when you don't honor yourself because you're afraid of how other people will treat you and they're treating you not so nicely. And when you do honor yourself in front of them, they get upset that you are honoring yourself. Then I look at it in a way of you honoring them, dishonoring you. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I take that on as my belief. That is a, a belief that doesn't limit me. That's a belief that empowers me. Because if that person doesn't respect my choices for myself, then I'm either going to honor them disrespecting me or dishonoring me, or I'm going to honor myself even at the risk that I could lose them as friend or family. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be a jerk about it. I always like to honor myself with love for others. I can honor myself with love for you. I had to do that with one of my family members once or a couple times where I needed to honor myself. I needed to make my own choice and uh, they didn't like my choice. And I still said it with love for them and care about them. I even said, I love you and I don't want to ruin this relationship with that. So I'm going to say no, but I just want to let you know, I'm, I want us to be close. I don't want this to get in between us. So I still want to have this connection with you. And that person didn't like it. I mean, I haven't talked to that person since. And maybe that person hasn't thought about it since then. I'm not sure. But, you know, they're kind of far away right now. So I haven't been there in a while. But if I were to see this person again, I would hope that they understood that I had a choice and I chose no. And it was okay for both of us for me to do that because everyone does have a choice. You don't want to take away other people's choices. When you honor yourself and somebody doesn't like it, and then you acquiesce and decide to do what they want you to do, they've taken away your choice. Or even worse, you've taken away your own choice. 
because you've made the decision to acquiesce. You've made the decision to step out of your choice, out of your power, and let them have what they want. So I want you to be really careful if you ever have trouble honoring yourself in front of others that might get upset because either they are going to have a choice that takes advantage of you or you're going to have a choice that empowers you and those who love you will want you to be empowered. Those who love you would want you to be happy. And I'm not trying to make it a black and white issue. I know there's more to it. But I just want you to know if you're ever in that situation that your choices make a big difference in what continues in your life and what stops. And if you don't want toxic behavior to continue, you might have to make a different choice. So I love that she said that in her email. Uh, what else did she say? She said, I hope one day to also be able to help people understand themselves and inspire them to heal emotionally. I think that's an excellent aspiration to have. And it's something that I never really thought I would be doing. I mean, I've been a coach for well over 10 years now, and I never thought that I would be on a podcast telling my life stories and being an inspiration to anyone, helping them heal emotionally. I just thought, you know, I'd get a few clients here and there in my local town and I would just do that. But one day I got on a podcast and I just started telling my stories and suddenly people started following me and really telling me how much just telling my stories helped. So this kind of lines up with uh, being authentic, being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. And I decided uh, six or seven years ago that I'm going to put my guilt out there. I'm going to put my embarrassment out there. I'm going to put my shame out there. I'm going to put anything that I don't necessarily want to feel ever again on the air for the world to hear and for the world to judge and for the world to do anything they want with it. And I really expected to be judged harshly. You said, what? You did that? How could you do that? That's so awful. And as I told my stories over the years, I have never, I don't think ever, maybe once, I think I've only seen one thing that ever judged me for something I did. And it was how I used to treat my wife. I was emotionally abusive toward my wife. And I just talked about it on the air. I wanted to be transparent. I wanted to tell people, you know what? I teach this stuff about emotional abuse and I've been on both sides of it. I've been the recipient and I've been the perpetrator of emotional abuse. And so I wanted to tell people about it because I want you to make up your own mind. I mean, should I listen to this guy? And if this is your first time hearing this, I tell the stories from a point of view where I learned a hell of a lesson and I've learned um, how to treat people better, how to heal from this stuff. And this is typically what I share on the air because I wasn't perfect. I needed help. I needed healing. I was dysfunctional. And so I come on the air and I tell you about my dysfunctions, not because I'm looking for a pity party, not because I think I'm a victim, but because I think when other people hear it, it allows them to feel vulnerable too. It allows them to express themselves, either when they write to me or to their friend. I mean, I had somebody write to me and say, you know, I have uh, my best friend that I live with and we talk all the time, but I never, ever want to tell him this one secret that I have. And this secret is really eating away at me inside. And I asked her, well, why don't you want to tell this person? Are they going to bite your head off? Are they going to be angry with you? 
And she said, no, in fact, they'd be totally understanding. And I said, well, why wouldn't you take advantage of that and just express what's going on inside of you? And it wasn't even about that person. It was something else that happened in her life. And she goes, well, I, I never considered it. And I thought, well, you have this safe person that's non-judgmental, and you have an opportunity to share what's on your mind. And they're right there. They are your roommate. And you're not taking that opportunity. It's a perfect opportunity to release some negativity or at least put it on the table so that it can get some air. <laughs> and uh, she said, I just never thought about it. I think I will. And I thought, that's fantastic. I think she did end up doing that. And what a great release for her to have someone in your life that you can just be yourself and express yourself. That is a gift. That is a gift. So I like to think that when you listen to my stories and I tell you the things that I'm embarrassed about, I feel guilty about, I feel ashamed about, I have behaved in certain ways. Uh, when I tell you all this stuff, I think it allows you to be a bit more yourself. I think you can maybe look at someone like me and go, man, that guy's messed up. <laughs> and think, well, maybe in my life's not so bad. <laughs> and at the same time, there are people, uh, many people that have had such a worse life than I did. Much, much worse than I've gone through. And I, I still think that sharing who I am and what I've gone through on the air allows them to be allowed to connect with themselves in a non-judgmental space, even though, you know, I can't hear people talking back to me, but I still believe that it allows people to open up because if this guy can come on and tell stories about all the embarrassing things that he's gone through and all the dysfunction that he's experienced and, and all the relationships he's ruined, then maybe I can tell my mom this or my best friend this or my partner, my husband, my wife, maybe I can do this too. I'm telling you this because this person wrote, I hope to be able to help people understand themselves and inspire them to heal emotionally. I think when you are yourself, when you aren't afraid to show up authentically as who you really are, you do inspire others. You do help other people heal because it gives them a chance to connect with themselves and be open and be vulnerable because they'll feel safer with somebody who is being who they are. And when you're around somebody that can share and express themselves freely and openly, knowing that they could be judged, knowing that they could be ridiculed, that usually feels like a safer person because you feel safe enough to be vulnerable around those types of people. So I'm just saying this because the person who wrote the email, don't be afraid to tell your story. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I mean, if you're going into a healing modality of any sort, a coaching modality, a counseling profession or anything like that, I think it's a great idea to share who you are to allow other people to connect with something deeper inside themselves. So I love that you want to go into that space because when you heal, you feel so good that you typically want to spread that good feeling and want to help others too. And my only caveat to that is be careful if somebody doesn't ask for your help. <laughs> I've seen this before. Some people that go into these healing modalities, they want to coach, they want to fix other people when they're not ready for it or they're not asking for it. You just have to be careful with this because you might have all the tools and resources that can help somebody else and they could tell you what's going on in their life and you could think to yourself, wow, 
I know how to help them out of this. I can help them feel better in like three minutes. And my advice is to not automatically help people unless it seems they're asking for it or they directly ask for it. Because some people just are in that space. They're not ready or they're just venting. Some people don't want to be fixed. That was what my wife told me <laughs> when we were married. She said, sometimes I just want to vent. And I said, oh, why would you tell me this if you didn't want it fixed? And she goes, yeah, not everything needs fixed. Sometimes I just want to vent. And that was a big lesson for me. I learned a lot then. And a lot of people are like that. You know, some people just want to vent. Some people are okay with the drama. Some people want to stay in their drama. They want to be the victim. Not everyone has drama as a victim, but some people just want to stay the victim and that's okay. We just say, oh, okay, that's awful for you. So sorry you're going through it, even though you could have a solution. So we just have to be careful because sometimes we can be the rescuer, the fixer, and we think we're doing the right thing, but in actuality, we're giving people something they don't want or they haven't asked for, and it may feel intrusive to them. And they may dislike us for it, even though it could be the solution, even though it could make their life better, at least according to our perception. <laughs> so we just have to be careful around that as well. But I don't think this person who wrote to me is going to do that. And if they do, well, that might be helpful advice for you. But that was pretty much the end of her letter. I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been helpful. It's kind of a, a loaded episode, a lot of subjects that we talked about today. But it was a lot of good subjects to visit or at least revisit if you've been listening a while. Uh, I am so glad that you joined me today. We'll be right back. I'm going to say some thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsors today, BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month. And remember to tune into Stories of Impact at storiesofimpact.org. Might be just what you need if you have any free time during COVID. <laughs> and I want to thank the patrons of the week. Patrons are the financial backers of this show. They find value in the show and they want to give back and this is how they do it. And some of them have been doing it for quite a long time. In fact, I'm very excited to say hello to Steven who's been in the patron program for just about 50 months. That's five zero. Steven is a longtime member. I've talked to him quite a few times. Hello, Steven. Thank you for continuing to support the show as you do. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And of course, the rest of these people, I absolutely appreciate just as much. Brian has been a member for 22 months. Janet, 21 months. Clarissa, 11 months. And Lori, just three months. So happy to have all of you on board and supporting the show as you do. And I appreciate all of you. And if you are a patron, you'll hear your name soon. And if you're not and you find value in the show and you want to give back, you can head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And of course, when you join the patron program, you not only give, but you get back. I have all kinds of um, private episodes in there, workbooks and worksheets, a video archive, all kinds of stuff you can check out there that uh, you won't find anywhere else. It's stuff that I put behind that wall, and uh, you're welcome to it once you become a patron. Again, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Thank you, patrons. I appreciate you. 
And I want to mention the Love and Abuse podcast. That has become a very popular podcast for people that are in emotionally abusive relationships or are dealing with control and manipulation in any relationship they're in, uh, friends, family, partners, uh, no matter what you're experiencing, if you are having difficulty communicating, if you are constantly in arguments, if you can't ever seem to please the other person and nothing you do seems right, or they say that about you, <laughs> check out Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And for my last comment, uh, speaking of Love and Abuse, there was a uh, review in Love and Abuse that said, this person loved the line that I used, uh, which was, because I was treated this way doesn't give me the right to treat others this way. This person said, it rang so true. So they left a review and said, you know what? I am trying to change. I am working on myself. I realize that I am not doing loving behavior. I'm doing hurtful behavior or harmful behavior. And I'm putting words in their mouth. But this is probably the realization uh, very similar to the one I had near the end of my marriage where I finally put on my empathy genes and was empathetic toward my wife and put myself in her position and imagined me over there saying the things I said to me being that guy's wife. It's weird to say, but I pretended I was my wife and I imagined Paul over there was judging me. And I felt miserable. I felt like being sick. I felt like, what a jerk. I am trying everything I can to love this person unconditionally. I mean, she was so good at loving me and supporting me, and yet I acted like this jerk. And so near the end of my marriage, I really felt empathy come up, and that was the beginning of my healing. I think empathy is a huge key to healing when you are being hurtful or harmful to someone else. I mean, empathy is a a big key in healing anyway, because once you have empathy and compassion, sympathy for someone else, you get to understand them a little bit more. If they want help, you try to help. You understand their position and being empathetic helps you connect with them, helps you relate to them. And it has a lot of benefit. And then there are people that are overly empathetic and they are highly sensitive and they really take in all the emotions that the other person is experiencing and they have to work on not being so empathetic. But usually those people aren't doing the harm. The overly empathetic, the highly sensitive people are typically not the harmful ones. They are the ones that are trying to avoid being harmful and they don't want that negativity in their lives, typically. But in reference to this review, this person said, you know, because I was treated that way doesn't give me the right to treat others this way. He was quoting me. I forget what I was talking about, but I'm sure it was in one of the episodes. But I'm thinking he was quoting something I was talking about regarding people who do emotionally abusive behavior that have been victim to trauma or abusive behavior when they were younger. And this happens a lot. Somebody gets abused or traumatized in some way when they were younger. And then they, not knowing how harmful their behavior really is or not accessing their empathy, treat others the same way they were treated. And I know that, yes, it can be very difficult to deal with and heal from the past. 
but it doesn't give anyone the right to treat you badly because you were treated badly. And that may not be you. I'm just saying in general, it doesn't give people the right to treat others badly because they were treated badly. And this is what uh, the reviewer is saying is that he's realizing just because I was treated badly doesn't mean I have to treat him or her badly. I mean, of course, that's common sense, right? We don't want to hurt someone just because we were hurt. I think most of us are on board with that. But it is a good reminder that because some of us were mistreated when we were younger, that we might be bringing in a false belief system in how to treat others. And it happens. We get mistreated at some other place in time, and then we grow these fears and we have these beliefs that if we don't treat the person like we were treated, that somehow we're going to suffer. And this happens a lot, is that the person who might have been traumatized or abused when they were younger, they feel like they might have to traumatize or abuse the person they're with, because if they don't, they might feel like they're losing control. And if they don't have any control, then they'll suffer because there is pain without control. And that might be a belief that needs to be double checked, because that belief may not be true probably isn't. If we don't control, we think there's pain, but really it's just a fear of being out of control that makes us think that we're going to break down or die or something at the deepest level. Like I was talking about in the first segment, what's underneath all those roots and those layers of emotions. We think there's something worse, but really if we keep going, we might find out that underneath all of that fear and hurt and pain, there's something that might set us free. I tell you what, when I stopped being a jerk to my wife, it was relieving to me. It was freeing for me to stop being hurtful. I loved when I healed from being so judgmental toward my wife. I loved it because I wasn't walking around in a constantly triggered state. I wasn't constantly watching her like a hawk anymore. It was so peaceful to not be judgmental, to not be emotionally abusive. It was freeing. And so this person who wrote this review on uh, love and abuse, he says he's trying to change. He said, I'm, I'm currently trying to overcome my controlling patterns and distrust for people around me, namely my wife. We've come to a crossroad and I don't know what will happen, but I need to change this. What an amazing journey. If he goes through with this and he turns on that empathy and every time he's about to be controlling or manipulative or just a jerk, <laughs> then he can remind himself, how would I feel if I were my wife right now? And what that does is it takes you out of yourself. And when you're out of yourself, maybe the fear will be gone. Maybe the pain will be gone. Maybe the anger about whatever the other person is doing will be gone. And now you're in the shoes of someone else and what you're about to say is going to affect you personally because you're being empathetic. And that is huge. If he can step into those shoes, awesome. There is some emotional freedom coming your way and it's going to feel great. Empathy seems to be the key to get out of being hurtful and harmful to others. And I really hope that he's able to grasp that and anyone that's listening that might find themselves lashing out or being angry with other people or having a bad attitude, whatever it is, 
We spend so much time in our own head and our own thoughts and our own worries and our own stress that maybe turning on that empathy and being in someone else's shoes just snaps us out of that trance that we're in. And being out of that trance gives us a break. It feels freeing. It might also feel awful. When you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you being them experiencing your harmful behavior can be very revealing and you might think, oh, I'm being awful. I don't like this at all. But it might rattle your cage enough so that it helps you heal and it helps you change and get you into a better space to free you from that constantly triggered state. Wouldn't you love that? <laughs> Never being triggered. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I still have some work to do there, but 99.8% of the time, I'm not triggered. And when I get triggered, it's usually because I'm tired. <laughs> it's usually because all my defenses are down and I just don't want to be bothered and things bother me. I'm a little bit more sensitive, so I have to check in with myself and make sure that I've still got forward momentum and I'm still on the path of always working on myself and never just taking advantage of the people I love. I think that's a great place to be. And I hope you're in that space too. And if not, you're working toward that. And if you're not, just keep an open mind. This will help you step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.